You're listening to the weekly broadcast of Grace Church, an independent Bible teaching church in Wichita Falls, Texas. This week we're continuing our study of the book of 2 Timothy. We're calling Resolute. With this week's message, here's senior pastor Lance Bourgeois. About six years ago, I had the opportunity to go on a cruise with some dear friends. And it was the first time I'd ever been on a cruise. Uh, Some of you may have been on one, maybe you haven't. And I know some people kind of feel iffy about cruises. I got to tell you, I loved it. I thought it was the best. The idea that you got to go on vacation, you only had to unpack your bag one time. You got to go to several different cities. I laughed. It was like you would go somewhere, get off, enjoy a city. You'd come back to the hotel. It was laying on its side and it floated to the next city. It was great. Sit there in the Chase Lounge, you have people bringing you food and drink, and you just have a good time. There was a midnight chocolate buffet, and you're like, how can you go wrong with this kind of genius? Just loved the cruise. Well, one of the things that came up to me several years ago was listening to and thinking about what is the imagery when you think about a church? And somebody compared the church, you hear the terminology a lot about a battlefield spiritual warfare But the idea of the church and the difference between a cruise ship versus a battleship. Now, if you would think with me, the people on a cruise ship, by and large, it's about them. They're the consumer. People are bringing them stuff. They're serving them stuff. You don't have to do anything you don't want to do. They just keep bringing you stuff. And you got people like, can I get you something? Can you play a game? Do you want to play a game? What can we get you? And how do you want to do this? Think about a battleship, armored ready to go into battle, going into hostile territory, a protection mechanism. There is a force for good. Now, I want you to think with me about the difference between a church that views himself as a cruise ship, that my job is to sit in a chase lounge and be served, versus a church that says I'm a battleship and I'm going to be a force for good in the midst of hostile territory where there is a known enemy. Two different, radically different perspectives for how you think about church. One of the things that happened when I think about cruises, it's about our comfort, right? It's about us being in a good place. So when I came across this study not long ago where Lifeway Research was interviewing a 1,000 pastors, and they went into them and said, hey, what are the modern-day idols that you're seeing in your United States churches? Because I don't We can't characterize churches all around the globe this way. This is a Western mindset. So they're talking to a thousand different pastors in the United States, and they said, hey, what are the idols that you see having significant influence in the American church? And so the top six were this. The sixth one was social influence. The next one was success, and the next one was approval. And you and I could look up and say, well, I mean, are those things bad? Well, the question was, what are the idols that you see? It's not what things do you just notice. No, what's driving the church? If it's your idol, it's what you're worshiping. It's what's driving you. It's what's pushing you. A church who is pursuing social influence, success, and approval cannot be about honoring the Lord because they have other things in those places. The third, second, and first one are this. 55% said money. 56% said uh, control or security. See what's first? Comfort. The idol of the church, if you would allow me to use the previous terminology, I want to be on a cruise ship. 
Pick me on a cruise ship. The church I want is a cruise ship, one where I can sit in the Chase Lounge and I've got people bringing me drinks with, with little umbrellas in it and food and buffets and games and a cruise director, shuffleboard, maybe a port, get on and off every once in a while. See, that's a real different perspective. Does the Lord call us to be a cruise ship about our comfort or does he call us to be a battleship? I'm going to tell you a story. There's a guy named Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Maybe you're familiar with the name. He wrote a book called The Cost of Discipleship. The book is a good book. It's worth our thinking. If you've read it and you're like, wait a minute, I can't believe Lance buys into all of that. I don't agree with everything Bonhoeffer says, but the fail-safe is this. I don't agree with everything I say either, so we're still in good company. But what Bonhoeffer does really well is help us think critically about some things we need to think about. At the beginning of that book, he's got a section called The Memoir, and in it, he tells a story. He lived at the time when World War II was starting. He was in Germany. He was an academic, and so he had the ability to leave Germany. And so some of his friends got together, some of his academic friends, even in the United States, helped get him to the United States. And so he is safe and sound in the United States until he had a moment of conscience where he said, this isn't right. I need to go back to Germany. And so he goes back to Germany. And when Reinhold Niebuhr, who was an American theologian, or a theologian in America, said, what are you doing, Dietrich? Here are his words. I shall have no right to participate in the reconstruction of Christian life in Germany after the war if I do not share the trials of this time with my people. Cruise ship or battleship mentality. See, the idea was this, if I just show back up in Germany when all the war is over, I'm like, hey, y'all, I'm back. Let me tell you about Jesus. They're going to say, what? You have no idea what we went through. No, no, no. He loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. You have no idea. Bonhoeffer, for whatever you think about his theology, his commitment to be a battleship for the Lord, to say, Lord, what do you have for me? What role can I play in this world? Because that cruise ship is about me. That battleship is about being a force for good in the world. Now we got to ask ourselves some questions. How do we lean into that in a way that that's what the Lord is calling us to? I invite you to open up your copy of Scripture to 2 Timothy chapter 2. Paul has some words for us today. If you've got a copy of Scripture in your hand, that's great. If you want to use one of the church devices, the uh, Church Center app or the version, or we've got Bibles on the carts in the back of the room, if, if you don't have a Bible, we'd love for you to take one as our gift to you. But as Paul's teaching Timothy about how to walk this Christian life, we get to our third lesson today, and his message is really, really clear. To walk with the Lord in a way that will honor the Lord will require us to endure hardship. There's no way to be the cruise ship in fulfilling what God is asking of us or calling us to be. So if you open up to 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1, Paul starts this way. You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus, and what you've heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Share in the sufferings as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. An athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. It's the hardworking farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. Think over what I say, 
the Lord will give you understanding in everything. Paul recognizes that he's got a hard conversation with Timothy. He speaks of him in such an endearing way, my child. If you've had as a parent to have one of those hard conversations with a child, maybe you've been a youth leader, maybe you've had some younger person that saw you as a mentor. These can be hard conversations, right? The ones that sound like this, you're about to go through something really hard. It's going to be okay, but you need to know that what's before you, the path isn't going to be easy. We're going to be okay. We're going to get there, but the path is going to be really painful. But I need you to know that. I don't want you to be caught off guard by it. It's that kind of talk that Paul's giving Timothy, my child. All the endearing qualities of a father to a son as he says, my child. And then he offers him these words, be strengthened. By the grace that's in Christ Jesus, be strengthened. Timothy, you need to know this. You lack what it takes in and of yourself to make it to the other side of this deal. It's going to be hard. It's going to be painful. And this isn't a knock on Timothy. It's a knock on the reality of our humanity and the fact that we live in a spiritual world of warfare. Timothy, you, you, you don't have what it takes right now. That's okay you don't have to. You're going to find strength. There's strength available to you, which is more than sufficient. But as you try to look within, that won't get you there. This isn't pull yourself up by the bootstrap strength. This is depend on the Lord kind of strength. Because if the Lord doesn't strengthen you, then it's going to be rough, rough time. Now, if you look back, at least uh, chapter 1, verse 7, it's on the same page in my copy of Scripture. God didn't give us a spirit of fear, but of power. He's given us that spirit of power. Timothy, you have it. You need the strength. You need the power. But it's not going to be in, from you. It's from the Lord. He tells us that in, two, in chapter 2, verse 1. Be strengthened by the grace, God's unmerited favor toward you, that is in Christ Jesus. That's where the strength is, Timothy. That's where it's going to be. So be strengthened. And what you've heard from me in the presence of many witnesses and trust of faithful men will also be able to teach others. Now, there's this great moment as he's trying to build it. I've told you about this, Timothy. You got to be strong, and that strength's going to be found in the Lord, because this spiritual warfare is there. Paul wrote about it to the church at Ephesus. Finally, be strong in the Lord. Not just be strong, strong in the Lord, depending on him and the strength of his might, not your own might, Timothy, not your own might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. I'm sure you've recognized this if you've walked with the Lord for any period of time. There is an enemy out there who is scheming against you and me to take us out. That's a reality. And so he says, put on the armor of God, the whole armor, all of it. Standing, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth. Truth. What can we count on in this world? It doesn't feel like we can count on a whole lot these days. But we can count on this book on the revealed word of God, and it's what is our belt. It holds everything together. So make sure you put on that belt of truth and wrap it around you to put everything in place and hold it all in place. Having that breastplate of righteousness, these righteous acts that you and I would do that would cover our heart and our soul because when the enemy starts attacking, he wants to bring guilt and shame and say, you're no different than you've ever been. You've never changed. That breastplate of righteousness that protects our soul says, I've changed. I'm being transformed. I'm not where I was yesterday. Hopefully, I'm not where I will be tomorrow. But today, I'm not who I used to be. So put on that breastplate of righteousness. Shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness 
given by the gospel of peace, that everywhere we walk, we're carrying the gospel of peace, that you can be reconciled with God, you can be reconciled with men and women. You walk in those shoes, you manifest that everywhere you go. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith, pick up that thing that's your faith. One, that the Lord has you, he will see you through, he will complete that good work he began in you, that you're safely held in his arms, he will strengthen you, you have a power of strength in you because of him. It doesn't feel like it. Then pick up that shield of faith. Why? Because we, with it, we can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. He is throwing darts at us constantly. You know that as well as I do. And let's just talk about his accuracy. He can throw darts with such precision that our greatest fears and our greatest anxieties, he just manages to hit. And without that shield of faith, we're going to really struggle. So pick up that shield of faith. Put on that helmet of salvation, the one that protects our heart, our, our mind, to know that we're saved, we're held eternally secure. And the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, you recognize this is the only offensive weapon that we have. Everything else is a defensive protection. This is our weapon. When the enemy comes at us and wants to throw darts at us, this is the sword that we pick up. This is all we have. So now we can say, no, I am a child of God. No, I recognize I have been forgiven. I've been cleansed of my sin. I've been made whole. I have a power. I don't have to be timid anymore. Which is the word of God, praying at all times in the spirit. Timothy. As you step into the world, what I want you to know is, put on that full armor of God, find strength, not in yourself, in your Savior, and put on that armor of God because I've got something for you. Timothy, I've told you about that. Matter of fact, I didn't just tell you, I told you in the presence of many witnesses, and I want you to go do something with it because this is the imagery that he's given. Paul saying, Timothy, I want you to do what I told you in the presence of many witnesses. I want you to take that, and then I want you to go entrust it to faithful men and women to go present the gospel and change the world. Paul recognized he had limitations. He's just one person. But you know what he could do? He could invest in Timothy and many witnesses. And then the moment those Timothy and those many witnesses went out into the world, they each entrusted it to a group of faithful men and women, and then they carried it into their own groups. This is the ministry of multiplication. By the way, this is the reality of what God calls the church to be, is that we would be moving out into the world because there's no plan B for this world. There's plan A, and it's the church. God's calling on the church to be who he calls us to be as a force for, let me go back and change it from a force for good like the battleship to a force for the gospel so that we carry the good news to this world. That's our calling. So when he looks down at Timothy and says, Lay, I want what you've heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, I want you to entrust that to others that they'd be able to teach because this is going out into the world and that's how we're gonna do it. That's God's plan. So now we start going through the world. Is it gonna be easy? It's absolutely not gonna be easy. But we put on the armor of God and by the way, if you wanna hear more about that, we taught that, it's hard to believe, it was the fall of 2020 when we went through the book of Ephesians but you can find all of that on our website if you want to go study that. But did you catch it? How hard is it going to be? Well, look at the three analogies he gives us. None of them are easy analogies. One is a soldier, one is an athlete, one's a farmer. 
Those are hard metaphors, right? These aren't people you find on a cruise ship sitting there waiting to be served. No, the first one, a soldier, a wholehearted devotion, somebody who's in active duty, not can't be disengaged. They are focused on their calling, their job, their role. Whatever their role is, is the role that's been entrusted to them. Nobody else may have that role. Maybe somebody else has that role alongside them. But they have a role that they have to fulfill. And so you can't be entangled in civilian pursuits. You can't be caught up in civilian. Could you imagine if the person is over there in a hostile environment and that person is like, yeah, I wonder what I'm going to do when I get out. As soon as I fulfill my commitment, I'm thinking about going back to home and I'm going to start this job, do this thing, whatever. No way. You've got to have focus. You've got to be thinking through what you want to do. A friend of mine who was in the Marine Corps told me the story years and years ago when they were uh, out in the desert and they were in hostile territory and this platoon, their platoon or platoons in this company were going out. And so they're out in the middle of the desert and they've got, they're trying to get some rest for, for most of the platoons. And so they're mostly asleep, but a couple of them were charged with staying awake. Your job is to stay awake and make sure that we're safe and protected. So those people are supposed to stay awake. They go to, my friend wakes up and looks around and the sentries who were standing post had all fallen asleep. Now think with me about the reality of being a company of soldiers in hostile territory and you don't know what's going on. Nobody's watching out for the enemy. And so he picks up his night vision goggles, he looks out and what they see is they are completely surrounded by heat sources, completely surrounded, entire company of our Marines. And so he has this moment where they all start yelling and screaming. You can imagine the adrenaline. So everybody is now laid out. They've got their, their rifles and their weapons lined up, waiting to see what's going to happen. Those guard, those people that they sent out, the scouts come back and they said, we're okay. It's just a herd of camels. And you're like, that was a lot of emotion for camels. Here's the thing. They didn't know it was camels. What had happened was there were a herd of camels that came walking up together, and when they got to this platoon of soldiers or this company of soldiers, they split, and they started circling around them, and then when they got to the backside, they rejoined. It just so happened that where they were, you still had a line behind them. They were completely encircling, and they had started coming together on the other end. Now, the question I would ask you is this, because we would all say, that's terrible. you got to stay awake. Let me just ask you. Do you recognize that we're in hostile territory with a determined enemy that wants to destroy us now? And I wonder how many of us might use the phraseology that we find ourselves asleep in this world right now with a dangerous enemy all around us. Because if you get caught up between being a soldier and a civilian, civilians, we don't typically wear armor around, right? Imagine the person that's in the spiritual battle and you get entangled in your civilian affairs. So you start taking off that armor of God. Well, now you become really vulnerable. Now you're really vulnerable. And there's a question for us all to ask ourselves, which is this, are you in danger? Do you recognize what's going on around you? Or are we asleep? We gotta figure it out. You can sleep on a cruise ship. That's fine. Probably, somebody will probably come by and put a blanket on you. This is different. That's the first analogy that he gives. Look at the second, an athlete. Not only do you have to have the wholehearted devotion of a soldier, you've got to compete according to the rules. Well, we, how does the Lord call us to function? We don't want to disqualify ourselves. See, one of the things was this was tied, obviously, to the Olympic Games at the time. 
and you had to train and sign off that you'd trained for this for up to 10 months. You had put in the hard work. You had qualified for all the rules to compete. We gotta be like that. A refusal to compromise. I gotta tell you, I grew up playing sports. I love sports. I think sports gave me a framework to process a lot of things in life. You know what else sports does? It teaches us how to make compromises sometimes, shortcut, because we have never exhausted the ways to cheat. We continue to find new ways to cheat in sports. His words are, no, 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 no. Refuse to compromise morally. Refuse to compromise spiritually. Stay right where you know. Don't compromise. Have the level of commitment to compete according to the rules. Paul uses tons of sports analogies that we would run the race, that we would get the prize, that we'd stay in it for the, for the reality of what lies ahead. We've got to have that, that we've got to compete according to the rules. We have to have that wholehearted devotion. The third one, a farmer. A farmer. If you know people who are farmers, I'm convinced they're the hardest working people in this world. They're up before sun, they're in bed after sun. It's a long day. But think about the enthusiastic labor that they have to put in. Because you couldn't have a lazy farmer be any success, have any success in being a farmer if they were lazy. You know, it's interesting. Proverbs gives us this, this picture where he says, I, I passed by the field of a sluggard, by the vineyard of a man lacking sense. And you and I could say, well, I mean, he's just passing a field. How could you know? How could you know that person is a slacker or a sluggard? Because he looked at the fruit of what had been created. It was all overgrown with thorns. The ground was covered with nettles and its stone wall was broken down. See, the hardworking farmer, his land isn't going to look like that. The reality is, is this doesn't mean you can't Sabbath. This doesn't mean you don't rest as a hardworking farmer. This is a way of life for this person who has allowed all those things to happen. The, what he calls us to is I want you to be like this hardworking farmer hardworking farmer that gets up and day after day keeps planting and does all things toward the success of that which is to come because I can plant the seeds today. I don't get the reward of the seeds today. I just plant them today. I'm faithfully and dutifully doing what the Lord is calling me to do with the idea that there will be a harvest in the future. That's what I'm counting on, but I'm doing the hard work today and it's gonna be a long season before I get there, but I keep doing it today. That's what it looks like to be a farmer. And then he says, recognize this, is that we will have the first fruits. Well, yeah, because the farmer who harvests everything, he gets the first out of that. He harvested it. In a spiritual context, think with me about what that might look like. You continue, I continue to faithfully pursue the Lord and pursue opportunities to entrust the gospel, that's what we're talking about, to faithful men and women so that they can then pass it on too. So you and I just keep, keep faithfully trying to till the soil, planting the seeds, watering, fertilizing for a day that will come in the future. That's our calling, much like a soldier, much like an athlete, now the farmer. And within those contexts, what does it look like to get the first fruit spiritually? If you've ever seen the experience of somebody coming to faith or start growing in their relationship with the Lord, the first fruits are different. This isn't an apple. This isn't wheat. No, you know what it is? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. 
And you start watching people grow in their relationship with the Lord and they start manifesting the fruit of the Spirit. And then you start saying, man, that's awesome. Lord gave you the first chance to see it because you know where they came from. You watch them get strengthened and grow and mature. And by the way, what happens to you? You and I, more love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, and so forth. And let's add in humility. Lord, you chose to use me for your purposes? That is a remarkable truth. I can't believe you would allow me such an incredible joy as that. But when you and I look at these three things that we're just talking about, recognize this. At verse 7, he says, Timothy, I want you to think over what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding and everything. Timothy, I recognize right now you may not understand what I'm telling you about the soldier, the athlete, and the farmer, but I want you to keep thinking about it. I want you to keep wrestling through it. What does it mean that you would be able to enthusiastically labor? What does it mean that you would be this person that would compete according to the stature? No, no compromises. What does it mean to give it my wholehearted devotion in all that I do? Timothy, I want you to think about it. I want you to process it. The Lord will show you what I'm talking about here. I can't help but think Paul would want to tell us the same thing. All of us, me included, every one of you, everybody watching, how are you doing as a soldier? How are you doing as an athlete? How are you doing as a farmer? Because each of those three things, is it hard? Oh, absolutely, it's hard. But you catch the reward, the soldier gets the commanding officer's approval. The athlete gets the victory. The farmer gets the first share of the crops. Is it hard? Oh, it's going to be really hard. That's why you need to be strengthened. You lack the ability to do it in and of yourself, but that's okay. Trust in the Lord. That's where the strength is going to come, and he is more than adequate to give you the strength you need for what he's calling you to. Worth it? Yeah, it's worth it. Because look at the next section. The next section, he tells us that there's, he gives us four reminders. Four reminders. Verse 8, remember, remember this, Timothy, Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as preached in my gospel, for which I am suffering, bound with chains as a criminal. But the word of God is not bound. Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they may also obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. The saying is trustworthy. For if we've died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure with him, we will reign with him. If we deny him, he will also deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. Four reminders. Is it hard? Oh, it's going to be hard. I don't think any soldier or athlete or farmer has ever said, oh, man, this is the easiest way of life ever. I might as well be on a cruise ship. No, they don't say that. Is it worth it? He gives them four reminders. Here's the first one in 2.8. Jesus Christ is the supreme example of victorious endurance. The Lord who's calling you to this has endured and he's been victorious, which is why the author of Hebrews says this, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. There was joy on the backside of the cross. It wasn't the cross that was joyful. It was what was going to come as a result of the cross. Redemption, reconciliation, for you and me in this world with God. But what did he have to do? Well, he had to despise the shame. Was that the end of the story? No, because he's seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Yes, he is victorious in his endurance. Here's the good news. Who is going to strengthen you? Him, the one who endured the cross and then resurrected, and he's the one supplying your strength. Remember this, Timothy 
There is a victorious way to go about enduring, and the Lord is our model. He's also the sustainer. He's also the provider for the strength you need for that. This isn't on your shoulders, Timothy. The Lord will provide it. There's a second reminder there in verse 9. While people can be chained, the gospel cannot be. Chain him up. He's like, you know what? There's people in this prison that need, need the Lord too. Put me anywhere, that's fine, because wherever I am, people there need the Lord. And so Paul said, you know, it's created in me a reality of being content, which is what he wrote to the Philippians about. Now that I'm speaking of being in need, for I've learned in whatever situation I'm to be content, whether I'm in prison or whether I'm a free man. Doesn't matter, this is my call, because I'm a battleship, I'm a force for the gospel wherever I go. It doesn't matter, put me in an environment and I'm going to be there for the Lord. But listen to these extremes that he says. I know how to be brought low. I know how to abound. Give me nothing. Give me everything. That's fine. In any and every circumstance, I've learned the secret of facing plenty, hunger. I've learned abundance. I've learned need. It really doesn't matter because in the end, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Put me on the left side of the spectrum or the right side of the spectrum because it's not about me. It's not a cruise ship. I'm not the consumer in this deal. The Lord has me on mission. I've put on my armor. Lord, what do you have for me? And I'm gonna go live for you there, wherever it is. Lord says, okay, now we've got something because it brings us to this third reminder that he tells us in verse 10. The opportunity to share the gospel with the lost is worth any and every hardship. Any and every hardship. I don't know where the Lord has you today or what's going on or what you're facing, but I know this. The Lord is at work and it may not even be the thing that we were asking for him to do, but it may be where we find ourselves. I know this, when we read that Paul said, oh, the depth of his riches and wisdom and the knowledge of God, how unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. And you know what? I can read those words and I think about how many times my response is, Lord, what are you doing? And Paul said, Lord, I don't know what you're doing, but I know you're good. I know you're at work. I know that to be true, and I will not ever be able to understand you and what you're doing, but I trust you. And so that's why I can be content. It's maybe not be what I would ask for, but it's where I find myself. And the reality is, if you're a person who writes in your Bible, maybe mark this verse. The secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things that are revealed belong to us and to our children forever that we may do all the words of this law. This is what the Lord has revealed to us. We can know this. It can shape us. We can be transformed by this. We lean into this. This has been revealed. It was given to us and our children that we may know how to live in this world. But the first part of that verse is the more troublesome thing sometimes, right? The secret things belong to the Lord. Lord, why? We don't get to know the answer to that. Lord, how, why, why, why would you put Paul in prison? He's an itinerant preacher. If you're an itinerant preacher, the worst place to be is to be locked up, right? Who are you going to go talk to? And Paul says, you know what I've learned? There's people in this jail that need Jesus too. It might not be what I would have chosen, but you know what? I've learned to be content. This is where you have me. Okay, game on. I'm going to share the gospel here in this. I'm going to put on my armor I'm going to pray, I'm going to be strengthened by you, and I'm just going to lean into it. This is where you have me. We don't have to like it, 
But I think that somewhere the question that we have to wrestle with, that Paul would want us to wrestle with, might be this reality, is if I don't know what he's doing, but I trust him, can I still trust him when I don't know what he's doing, or can I only trust him when I know what he's doing? And secondly, does his goodness somehow cease when I don't know what he's doing? Because if those aren't true, then when I don't know what he's doing, I have to lean into the fact that I do trust him and that I do know that he's good, even when it's the secret things that I don't get to know about. Paul, I don't see saying, oh man, God, you've really messed this one up. I've been a itinerant preacher. Why do you have me in prison? I see him saying, okay, this may not have been in my plan, but this is what you have. That's fine. People here need Jesus too. So let me tell them about Jesus here in the jail cell. And I think, wow, that's a level of faith. But just a reminder, it's going to be hard, but it's going to be worth it. Because when we come to the fourth reminder, he says this, verses 11 through 13. While believers are secure in their salvation, faithful endurance through the hardships of life will be rewarded by the Lord. <sighs> faithful endurance. It's going to get us through. There will be a reward. He sees all these things. So who are the believers? Well, John makes it really clear. Let's just bottom line this. I write these things that you who believe in the name of Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. This isn't, I hope I've done enough good. I hope my good deeds outweigh my bad deeds. I had kind of a bad day yesterday on the highway, so I got to do some good deeds today. Uh-uh. I write these things in order that you may know. If you're here today and you don't know, the Lord wants you to know. He wants you to rest in the goodness of the gospel that Jesus Christ came to this earth, lived a life of sinlessness so that he could pay the price for sin. He conquered death and it offers us life. On the basis of who he is and what he did, has done, he offers you and I life. Lord, I believe that when you did that, you did that for me. And just like that, all of a sudden, a new world opens up. You enter into the family of God. You have the capacity to be strengthened from our Lord. Know that. You don't have to live with a lack of knowledge of whether or not you know the Lord. John said, I want you to know these things. But there is a reality that this fourth reminder has. Don't be deceived. God is not mocked for whatever one sows, that will he also reap. So how you live your life matters. That's what he's saying as he tells us in these passages right here. If we endure, we reign with him. If we deny him, he will deny us. If we don't walk with him in ways, then there'll be less reward. God watches. He cares how you and I live our life. Are we going as a cruise ship or are we going as a battleship? It matters. There's rewards for living as that battleship to be used to the Lord. Paul said as much in 1 Corinthians 3. Now, if anyone builds on the foundation, now he gives you six different ways you could build, building material. Are you building with gold, silver, or precious stones? Are you building with wood, hay, and straw? Your work will be manifest. You can tell everybody you're a battleship, but if you're living as a cruise ship, ultimately that will be seen. Can't lie to the Lord. He won't be mocked. How will we know? Well, the day will disclose it. How? Because it will be revealed by fire. Go back and look at the gifts. I mean, the building materials, gold, silver, or stones, those will be purified in the fire. Wood, hay, and straw, they're not going to fare so well. So it's going to be revealed by fire. The fire will test the sort of work that each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, if it was gold, silver, precious stones, you'll be rewarded for that. If it was the wood, hay, and straw, it'd be burned up, you'll suffer loss. Loss of what? Rewards. Loss of rewards, that's what we're talking about. How do we know? Though he will himself be saved. Your salvation is secure. 
but only through the fire because that's what the, what the testing was. So let me be really clear. Reward or not, every believer will experience eternal life, but our faithfulness determines our experience of eternal life. How you and I live our lives matter. I think Paul wants Timothy to say, it's worth it. It really is worth it. Dietrich Bonhoeffer goes back to Germany, ends up in a prison camp, serving out his days in a prison camp, finds himself, what we now know is he was asked a question about was it worth it. He ends up dying in the prison camp after the war was over. The Germans killed him out of spite to take his life. But when he was asked, was it worth it, here was Bonhoeffer's response. I'm sure of God's hand and guidance. Really? Hear the conviction? I'm a battleship. I'm not a cruise ship. You must never doubt that I'm thankful and glad to go the way in which I'm being led. Really? Never doubt that I'm grateful and thankful for what God's done. My past life is abundantly full of God's mercy. And above all sin stands the forgiving love of the crucified. At the end of the day, my commanding officer enlisted me into his service, and he has been good to me, and I'm grateful for what he's done. Because when we look at it, what we see is this Hebrews 11. We did this over the summer, last summer, where we talked through all the stories of Hebrews 11 in this hall of faith. Some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging, even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated. And I love this phrase, of whom the world was not worthy. That story has been true throughout all of Christendom. Men and women who live as battleships to be used of the Lord in this life, in this world, is not worthy we endure hardship. We endure hardship. Is it easy? No, it's not. Do we lack the strength? We absolutely lack the strength unless we turn to the Lord and he gives us the strength. Four reminders. But recognize this. Our Savior died this way. And those first followers of his who grew to know him and out of knowing him, they loved him and out of loving him, they began to serve him. They became enlisted. They became that soldier. They became that athlete. They became that farmer. Because what gave rise to our Savior, who is this model of victorious endurance, was this. Okay, there's Stephen, the first martyr of the church, getting stoned. There's James getting beheaded. There's Matthew that was crucified. There's Andrew who was crucified. There's James, the brother of Jesus, beheaded. There is Barnabas who's being dragged into a fire. There is John who spends out his days in isolation. There is Thomas. Remember, what do we call him? Doubting Thomas. Look at the transformation of his life. He grew to know the Lord, love the Lord, and serve the Lord. And he ends up being killed as well. And oh yeah, Peter, who denied Christ three times, which is what we maybe remember about Peter, who said, I'm not worthy of being crucified in the same position as my Savior. So when you crucify me, hang me upside down. Now, reality Probably in this day and age, none of us are going to a physical cross. The metaphorical crosses you and I carry, I have no idea. It could be a difficult decision, a difficult journey. It could be a reconciliation. It could be a lack of forgiveness. It could be an addiction. It could be something that the Lord's calling you to. And you can say, I don't like this cross. And the question for us to lean into is, one is to say, you lack the strength. Do you realize it? Lean into the Lord. Let him provide the strength. Second thing would be this. 
when the secret things belong to the Lord and you don't get all the answers? Do you trust him and do you know him to be good? Lean into those things. And when we fight our battle, put on all the armor, put on that belt, put on the helmet, put on the breastplate, grab that shield, put on the shoes, and grab this sword so that you have what it needs. Because the reality is, this is God's plan for the church. And I would ask you to consider, maybe you're a Paul, maybe you're a Timothy or many witnesses, maybe you're one of those faithful men and women, or maybe it's time for you to place yourself under one of those faithful men and women. And let's get busy. You've been listening to the weekly broadcast of Grace Church, an independent Bible teaching church in Wichita Falls, Texas. You can join us for worship Sunday mornings at our campus on Stone Lake Drive in Wichita Falls. Stream services live online at gracechurch.com or subscribe to our podcast published on Apple, Google, and Spotify. From all of us at Grace Church, thanks for listening. We'll see you next time.